Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I hope your heart's desire is that you'll do his will. <clears throat> First Peter chapter number one this morning. First Peter chapter number one is where we will be. Over the last few months, I've been preaching and speaking and teaching on the path of Peter, and I'm going to continue that this morning. And uh, hopefully that uh, through the Apostle Peter, God's Spirit, we can find out a place that we can grow. If you've been here for any of my last couple of messages that, that I've given, Peter is a, an apostle of growth. He commands us, uh, God does through Peter, on a number of occasions to grow. And we spent some, uh, some messages talking about, practically speaking, how we do that. A man, uh, the, the man Peter is a man that some would say was a flawed but faithful man. Some would say that Peter uh, was a man that often had his foot in his mouth, and I'll be honest, I would, I would tend to disagree with that sentiment uh, for one simple reason. I personally think Jesus Christ allowed us to get close to Peter because Peter is like all of us. And, and if, if Peter is a flawed but faithful man, then, then really Peter is, all of us have Peter in us, where, where we speak before we, uh, you know, we should, we don't quite think through something before we open our mouth. Um, but like a lot of people in here, Peter had a strong desire to see and be close to the Lord. Peter had a desire to know who Christ was personally uh, through uh, his interactions with Christ, through the scriptures. Peter was a normal, regular guy that loved the Lord. And, 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 and Peter was just a regular, common man like us that simply wanted to be close to the Lord. I'll tell you this much about Peter. Peter was a man that quickly repented when he was wrong. Uh, Peter was... You could almost say Peter was the New Testament man after God's own heart. Any man that quickly repents, quickly wants to be close to the Lord, quickly wants to fix his relationship with the Lord, that man, that woman is a person after God's own heart. And Peter twice in his epistles commands us to grow. And if under apostolic authority, Peter commands us to grow, then it's clearly a biblical and godly command that we are to be growing in our Christian faith. Understand, if you're not growing in your Christian faith, you are backsliding. If, if you're complacent in your Christian faith, you are backsliding. You should be constantly rowing your canoe upstream through the rapids of this world, and any canoe that simply stands still puts the oars in the canoe, you're going to be drifting backward down that river. And that is what it is in our Christian life. So too often, Christians stand still in their complacency and they do not realize that they're drifting backwards. Any Christian who is growing the way that Peter commanded us to grow will be growing in grace, that's what he tells us, and growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you today are not more biblically gracious than you were a year ago, you are not growing. If you today are not more biblically knowledgeable, then according to Peter, you're not growing. If you study the life and epistles of this great apostle, you'll find that Peter, I'll be honest, he was a very tough man. Now, Peter was physically strong, but understand, that's not what I'm referring to when I say that Peter was a tough man. Peter was a mentally tough man. Peter had built up his mental toughness to the point that when Peter became a true, humble follower of Christ, Peter's humility proved his toughness. You see, those who fly off at the drop of a hat, they're actually not tough at all. They're actually weak. Those who have a short fuse and lash out in anger, they're actually not tough at all. They're actually weak. 
Those who refuse to control their mind and their emotions, they're actually not tough at all. They're actually weak. Listen, I don't care if you can bench press 200 pounds, dunk on a 10-foot rim, or hit a 300-foot home run. If you can't, listen, men, if you can't control you, then you are not tough. You are weak. Ladies, I don't care if you can clean a great house, make a good dinner, and have all your kids looking perfect before they walk out of the house. Ladies, if you can't control you, you are not tough. Peter was a tough-minded man. And being tough has nothing to do with how much pain you can take or how much weight you can push. Being tough has everything to do with how well you control yourself, what it takes to stop you, how, 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 how far you grow in life. Listen, Peter was a tough man who got to the point where God used him to teach us how to grow. You will never grow like you're supposed to without being tough-minded. Listen, if you quit at everything, then you're going to quit in your Christian life at some point. And that just proves your weakness. Peter wasn't like that. Understand something. Peter did not allow his failures to stop him when he was rebuked publicly by Christ. He didn't let that stop him. But Peter also didn't allow his successes to stop him. 3,000 people got saved one time when he preached. You've never done that. I've never done that. I don't know if I've ever had someone get saved when I preach. I mean, good. It's terrible. But listen, Peter didn't allow his failures or his successes to stop him. The major themes of 1 Peter seem to be the themes of submission and suffering. Peter begins this epistle in chapter 1. We're not going to go through it. But he begins this epistle talking to those to whom he's writing about their real faith and their genuine faith. These people had a lively hope. They were genuinely saved. He goes on to chapter 2 in verse number 1, and he talks about how you can grow by putting away these fleshly things that all of us have. Things like malice and guile and hypocrisies and different things. So he starts out by commending them for their real faith. He then encourages them to grow in chapter 2. And then in chapters three, uh, 2, 3, and 4, he sort of weaves together these themes of submission and suffering throughout those chapters. That gets us to chapter 5. If you'll go over to chapter 5, Peter begins speaking in chapter 5 to two different groups of people. You'll notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses, he's speaking to the shepherds of the church. He says in verse 1, uh, the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder. He's speaking to the leaders of the local churches in the area to which he's writing. Now, Peter's epistles were general epistles. They weren't specific to the church, but you can clearly see that the church is in the background here in, in chapter 5, verse 1, because he uh, begins chapter 5 addressing the shepherds of the church, and he tells them essentially how they should lead. Then, in verses 5 through 8, he changes topics and he speaks to the sheep of the church. And he tells them how they should live. So the first part of chapter 5 is Peter speaking to the shepherds how they should lead. The second part is Peter speaking to the sheep and how they should live. And it's in this part of Peter's epistle that I want to pull our text and our material for how we're going to grow today. Remember, Peter is the apostle of growth. His epistles are regularly telling you how you can grow in your Christian life. This is God's will for your life today. This is not a theoretical will for some time in the future. What we're going to read today are two things that Peter is encouraging and effectively commanding you to put into your life. These are things that Peter already had in his life to such a degree that when God looked at this great apostle, God said, I'm going to use Peter to teach people how to grow. Let's look at these two things. There's two things, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 that I want you to see two things that Peter encourages you to grow with. Remember, he's speaking to the sheep of the church here. This is for us. He's teaching us how we should live and how we should grow. 
Notice what the Bible says in verse number five of 1 Peter chapter number five. The Bible says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Father, I pray that you be with us this morning. Father, be with us as we meet together around your word. Father, thank you so much for the book that we get together around, and Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through it. Father, I pray that your spirit would go up and down the rows uh, for all the people that are here and encourage them, convict them in whatever area that they need. Father, be with our pastor and his wife while they're at home. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being our best friend. Thank you for this book that we get to open this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice in verse 5, he begins his admonition to the church, to the, to the sheep of the church, uh, in verse 5, by telling them that ye younger submit yourselves to the elder. Now, I don't know if the elder here is specifically talking about the church elders like it is in verse 1. It could be the younger uh, in age submitting to the older elders. You know, it could be taken a number of different ways. It seems like he's talking about the elders because he addresses the elders in verse 1. But here's the point of verse 5. In verse 5, when he says, Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. The theme of verses 5 and 6 is the first thing you must have, according to this text in your life, to truly grow is humility. And in verse 5, when he says, younger, submit yourselves to the elder, understand what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that if you are young and you are truly humble, your humility will come out as submission. That's what he says in verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then he tells us to be clothed with humility and how God resisteth the proud. So Peter is telling the young people here, listen, you need to be in submission through humility to whoever the spiritual leaders are in your life. You say you want to grow. Do you really want to grow the way that God encourages you and tells you to grow? The, the first thing you must do if you're going to grow, according to Peter, according to this text, is to get a good dose of humility in your life. Now, I've used this illustration before. I've used it many times. I've talked to young men about this. And, and, and I have a question for you. I don't know. I might have used it in church. Does a fish know that it's wet? Does a fish know that it's wet? Probably not. Fishes aren't that bright in comparison to us. We know that a fish is wet. But a fish is born in water. It lives in water. It'll die in water. A fish has never been anything but wet, so it doesn't recognize the wetness around it. Guess what you and I are born in? Guess what we live in? And guess what we'll die in? Pride. Everything we do is tainted with pride. And because of the pride that we're born in, because of the pride that we live in, because of the pride that we'll die in, we don't recognize our own pride when it's there. Listen, pride feels like a lot of things. It feels like justification. Pride feels like anger. Pride feels like a lot of things. Do you know what pride almost never feels like? pride. It almost never feels like pride. It's always justified in some way, shape, or form. And the, it, the only way to fight the pride that we are naturally born into, the pride that we live in, the pride that we'll die in, is active humility, actively humbling ourselves. And so Peter goes right to the heart of the issue in verse 5 when he says, you must be clothed with humility. Notice that in verse 5. 
Submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. You say, what's that mean? To be clothed with humility. Well, it means just like your outward clothing covers your body and your outward clothing can be seen, that means your humility is something that should be seen. Listen, in simple terms, humility is something you wear day to day. It is something that you carry with you. There should be an outward covering of humility that is draped upon your life. And that outward covering of humility can be seen. You say, Brother Joe, I thought humility was a condition of the heart. Well, it is, but like everything else that's a condition of the heart, the things that are in your heart, listen, they will come out in your everyday life. It will be seen in your everyday life. And so, Peter tells us to be clothed with humility. Your clothing of humility should be something that is seen. Listen, there are certain parts of your humility that quite simply should be seen. People should see your ease in getting along with others. That should be seen. Listen, if you can't get along with multiple people, you're proud. And people see that. All right? You should be clothed with uh, the, the, the way that you get along uh, easily with people. You, you, your, your humility should be seen. Your humility should be seen in the fairness that you demonstrate to others. Your humility should be seen in the correction that you can take from others. Listen, your humility should be clothed. It should be, you should, people should be able to look at you and say that person is clothed in humility. That's what Peter, Peter commands us. He says in verse 5, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. And then, quite frankly, a fearful thought at the end of verse 5, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Understand, when you think about resisting, if somebody were to come up here and and, and try to get close to me and I resisted them, the visual there is to push away from them. I want nothing to do with them. Listen, God resists the pride. God resists the proud person. The number one thing on God's hate list is a proud look. It's actually not even pride. It's a proud look. That that first moment when that pride enters your eyes, that proud look is what God hates. And God resists the proud. Notice what he he says in verse 5. It says he gives grace to the humble. So he says in verse 5 that your humility is seen in your submission. Because of that, verse 6 says, humble yourselves therefore. And so verse 6 is connected to verse 5. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So Peter says therefore because he's connecting verses 5 and 6 together. He is saying you need to humble yourself therefore so that your submission can be seen, so that you can be seen that you're clothed with humility. You will never do verse 5 if you don't do verse 6, if you don't humble yourself before, under the mighty hand of God. Now, I was recently told about a young assistant pastor uh, who was fired by his pastor for insubordination. Uh, basically, he refused to submit to the elder, and the evidence of that was his insubordination. If that is true, and if that happened, listen, that young man was not clothed in humility. Insubordination, listen, that is an evidence of pride. Refusal to get along, that's an evidence of pride. We must humble ourselves, the Bible says, In verse 6, you should humbly submit yourself and graciously go with a rightful elder, a rightful spiritual leader, as long as that rightful elder is not violating the word of God. Notice the command in verse uh, verse 6. It says, humble yourself. See, I don't really like that command. 
I wish it said, humble everyone around you. See, I wish it said, humble your spouse. I wish it said, humble your kids. I, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I wish it sometimes it said, humble your pastor. I wish it said, humble anyone in my life except for me. That's what I wish it said, but it doesn't. Listen, your Christian duty is not to go around humbling everyone else. Your Christian duty isn't to go around humbling your spouse. It's not your job to take them down a couple of pegs. Your Christian duty isn't to go around humbling your pastor, humbling your church member. Your Christian duty is to go around humbling yourself. Listen, understand something about this command. If this was an easy command, Peter wouldn't have told us to do it. This is a tough command to humble yourself. By the way, if this was a natural command, Peter would not have told us to do it. Peter says, humble yourself. Listen, to consistently humble yourself is one of the most difficult and most painful things that you will ever do. But it is also the singular key to a long and successful Christian life is humbling yourself. Keep your hand here. Go back in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see something. You see, God is not commanding us to do anything that he himself has not done. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2. It's one thing for the great apostle Peter to tell us to humble himself, to humble ourselves. But notice that it actually goes way beyond Peter. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 5. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. Notice that in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. You know what we desperately want to protect in our lives? A reputation. He said he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Well, that's something else we don't like. And I, like this verse is, I hate this verse already, right? I like my reputation, and I don't want to be a servant. So Jesus took upon himself, uh, made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Here it is. And being found in fashion as a man, notice these three words, he humbled himself. Understand something, that phrase, you and I cannot wrap our mind around God humbling himself. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think traveled more distance to humble themselves? Do you think God who humbled himself to become a man and then humbled himself to men, traveled further in his humility? Or do you think when you and I humble ourselves, we're traveling further? Listen, the distance between my pride and my humility and what I need to do is nothing compared to the vast chasm that God crossed when God humbled himself. Listen, if I'm God, you know the one thing I'm not doing? Humbling myself. I don't want to do it in human flesh, let alone if I was perfect. God humbled himself. You can go back to 1 Peter. So he is not asking, God is not asking us to do something that he himself has not done. We can't even fathom the distance that God traveled when he became man and a perfect example did for us as an example what we are supposed to do every single, every single day in our lives. And if God could humble himself the way that he did, I'm sure that we can find it in ourselves to do the same. So let's go back to the verse. The Bible says in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. By the way, that's a great thought, under the mighty hand of God. If you're gonna humble yourself, listen, what a safe place to be 
is under the mighty hand of God. He's not saying humble yourself under the mighty hand of your boss. He said, don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of your spouse. He said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That picture of a father who takes his child by the hand as they walk across the street, that's the picture there. You humble yourself, place yourself in God's hand. He will protect you. He has a mighty hand. Then he says in verse six that he may exalt you in due time. You humble yourself and in the end, at some point, he will exalt you in due time. By the way, this verse is true in the direction that we read it. It's also true in the opposite direction. Let's look at verse six in the opposite direction. Don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Watch this. And he will uh, crush you in due time. He will not exalt you in due time. The opposite of that verse is also true. You go around exalting yourself under the weak hand of self, and God will humble you in due time. Listen, you mark it down. You don't regularly humble yourself before God. It is only a matter of time before God will humble you. And you mark my words, you will not like when God humbles you. It may, listen, Understand something when you correct your kids. Sometimes when you correct your kids, you give them a quick flick. Like, stop. Like, shut up. Stop that. Right? Other times you bring the hammer down. We get that from God. God doesn't bring the hammer down every single time. Sometimes he flicks you. He's like, he's like stop. So Friday, God, God flicked me. Right? I didn't even tell my wife this. This is pretty embarrassing. Friday afternoon, uh, Friday evening, whatever it was, I had to get gas. I was on the phone. I was talking to some people. I had a lot of phone calls to make. And Friday evening, I stopped to get gas. I'm, an, I'm nearing old by this time. I'm like 47. I have been driving a long time. I have never gotten gas and become one of those people on YouTube. I may be on a YouTube video sometime in the near future. I'm walking out of UDF with a nice cup of coffee and uh, my, my, my uh, truck was filled up. I'm on the phone, and so I'm completely distracted. Get in my car, I start the engine, I put it in drive, and I drive off. Does anybody want to guess what I forgot to do? Forgot to take the hose out of the tank. I literally drove off, and I thought, huh, that felt weird. And then I get out on the street, and I thought, well, I wonder what that was. And I look over, and there's... That the hose is laying on the ground. And I was like, I'm driving off. <laughs> so I just left. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I'm thinking to myself, like, what if somebody comes up behind, picks up the hose and just fills up their tank? That's on my credit card. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get like $800 bill for like some, you know, multiple trucks pulling up or something like that. Oh, man, it was bad. And I'm driving, I'm on the phone, like, and you're talking, but in the back of your head, you're like, you're an idiot. Like, I can't believe you just did that. Don't tell anybody that, by the way. That's an embarrassing story. And so the first thought that I had, listen, the first thought that I had, beside <laughs> try to get away, the first thought that I had was, you didn't do a good job today humbling yourself. And so what God had to do is he had to reach down and he flicked me and he said, hey, cut it out. Now, now I, I'll be honest, because I, I, I struggle to discern my own heart from time to time. I don't know which part of my life needed to be flicked, but this is what I know. I stepped back and I said, Lord, you got my attention. Listen, he'll flick you sometimes and he'll crush you at other times. Amen. You want to humble yourself. That's the command. Humble yourself so that God doesn't have to. 
you will much rather humble yourself than having God humble. You say, Brother Joe, how am I supposed to humble myself? Well, it's in the verse. Notice in verse 6. You make verse 6 your prayer. Lord, I humble myself before you. That's what you do. Every day you pray that prayer. Lord, listen, you don't say, Lord, help me to humble myself. You say, Lord, I humble myself. And then in your heart and mind, you humble your spirit. You humble your heart before the Lord. Listen, this is a prayer that God is giving us through Peter. Listen, your job in verse 6 is to humble yourself. God's job in verse 6 is to exalt you. Listen, your role is to worry about the humility. God's role is to worry about when you get exalted. Now understand something. You humble yourself, that's for today. God exalting you, that's for the future. Now, I don't know if that's future's tomorrow. I don't know if it's in a few years. Listen, I don't know if it's in eternity. This much I know. It's in the book. So if you humble yourself, he will exalt you. That's what I know. By the way, if you pray this in verse 6, and you say, Lord, I humble myself, but in the back of your mind, you're worried about your exaltation, <laughs> you're, not, you, you, you're missing it, all right? You're not really humbling yourself the way that you think you are. And so verses uh, 5 and 6 have everything to do with uh, humility. Peter's telling us, listen, if you want to grow, you have to get humility into your life. He then changes gears in verse 7 to casting. So in verses 5 and 6, it's humbling. In verse uh, 7, it's casting. Notice what the Bible says in verse 7 casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Listen, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard this verse. You've read this verse. You, many of you have this verse committed to memory. You've taught your children this verse when they're afraid of the boogeyman, all right? We know this verse, but do you live this verse? You can intellectually assent to the knowledge of this verse, but if you don't live out this verse, then you're missing it. You're not growing like you should. So in verses 5 and 6, he says, humble yourself. And then in verse 7, he says, cast yourself. Understand, in verse uh, 6, notice how it ends. It does not end with a period. Let's go back to English class. What is that punctuation mark at the end of verse 6? It's colon. So it's a continual thought. It's a slightly different thought, but it's connected to verse 6. So he is saying, humble yourself properly. And then in verse 7, you will cast yourself properly. They go hand in hand. Peter is saying, humble yourself before God, and as you are humbling yourself before God, be casting your care upon him. Peter is saying in the, uh, in the first verse, listen, uh, we should humble ourselves, and then, we, and then we will be able to properly cast our care upon him. Now, this word for care in this verse, it has the idea of the cares of this life. The word care here is the anxiety. It's the worry. It's the fear of this life. The word care here are those things that weigh us down. Listen, have you ever been to the place in your life where there's, there's not really one thing weighing you down, it's just everything weighing you down? Listen, that, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the cares of this life that weigh us down. Peter is saying here, it's to the, it's to the church family, it's, 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 it's to, the, to the shepherds at the first part of this chapter and to the sheep at the end of it. He is saying you must humble yourself to then rightly be able to cast yourself and your cares down at the foot of the cross. Peter is saying whatever it is in life that's weighing you down, cast that thing upon the Lord. Notice in verse 7, the word is casting. Notice that, that I-N-G, that's important. Peter does not say cast your care upon the Lord. He says, casting your care. It's a continuation. It's a continual thought. It means regularly, daily, as it enters your mind. It, this is not a one-time act like salvation or baptism. This is like your Bible reading. This is like your prayer life where you're doing it 
over and over and over again. God is saying, casting your care upon him, for he careth for you. You must regularly and consistently be humbling yourself so that you can cast yourself down at the feet of Christ. That's what he wants you to do. That's how you can grow. Listen, if Peter told us to cast our care upon the Lord one time, that one time act to never be repeated again, he wouldn't have said casting. This is very clear. This is a daily thing, more likely an hourly thing or whenever these cares come into our lives. So what is implied here is the process of casting cares upon the Lord is something that you start, but you never actually stop. You regularly, daily, hourly, whatever it may be, you regularly cast these cares upon the Lord as they enter your mind, as they enter your heart. Listen, the struggles that you have with fear, with anxiety, with worry, listen, cast these things to the Lord. By the way, if you haven't cast these cares upon the Lord in your life in the last few days, weeks, or months, and you wonder why they, they weigh you down all the time, listen, your mind was not designed to carry the weight of fear, anxiety, and worry. God can carry that. You cannot, which is why it weighs you down so much. God would not have commanded you to cast these things upon him if, in fact, you were the one designed to carry these things. Now, understand what's implied here, because the command of casting all your care upon him is an outflow of humbling ourselves. They're connected. So we humble ourselves in verses 5 and 6, and then we cast ourselves in verse 7. And because this command of casting all your care upon him is an outflow of our humbling ourselves, understand something. It may be that those who are constantly walking around carrying this load of care, concern, and anxiety have not humbled themselves like they're supposed to. It may be that the most in here that are filled with anxiety, fear, and worry are the same ones that have not properly humbled themselves. These two things, humbling and casting, they're connected. Listen, uh, if I can look at a man and explain to him that his anger is rooted in pride, why would that same principle not apply to other emotions that are out of control, like fear, anxiety, or worry? Listen, it's not just the men that we point to and say, hey, listen, your anger, your lust, and your greed, that's rooted in pride. Listen, we should point to the women or men that struggle with this and say, listen, your anxiety, fear, and worry is rooted in pride. You're carrying a weight you are not designed to carry. That's why he said, cast it upon the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Do you treat your anxiety, your fear, and your worry like a spiritual problem Or do you treat it like a medical problem? Now, I'm not ever implying that there's not a reason to seek outside help or treatment for certain things. I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form. I am saying this. Many Christians first run to the doctor instead of first running to God. That is true. They they run to the doctor instead of running to God. That's what I'm saying. Uh, By the way, where did the first century Christians go when they had anxiety attacks? They go down to the pharmacy. I I don't know what they did. Maybe Peter just took the Bible and said, hey, do this. So I don't know where this thought finds you regarding anxiety, fear, and worry. I can tell you that casting your care upon him, that is connected to humility, 
That is something we're supposed to do daily. It is not something that we're supposed to carry around with us. But verse 7 doesn't stop there. Notice verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Do you cast your cares daily upon the Lord? God commands us to do this. And because he knows our frame that we're just dust, he knows the things of this world weigh us down. He knows the trials of our life weigh us down. He wants us to cast these things upon him. This is one of the verses where it's good to remember that God became us. Listen, God is not in heaven theoretically telling us to cast these cares upon him. He became us. He became flesh. He knows the trials of this life. He, was, he endured six illegal trials. He knows the rejection of life. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He knows the temptations of life. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so when verse 7 says that you must cast your care upon him for he cared for you, we must remember God became flesh so he truly knows what this is like. Listen, he knows what it's like to care for ailing parents. That's why he told John, behold thy mother. Listen, Jesus knows what it's like to care for wayward children. That's why he gave us a story of the prodigal son and the faithful father. Listen, if you face a care in this life, you mark it down. God and the person of Jesus Christ faced that same exact thing. You are not alone. But notice in verse 7, it doesn't stop there. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. This is a fascinating thought right here. There are two groups of people in this verse. Did you see the two groups of people? The Bible says, casting your care. That's everyone's care that would ever face care in this world. Billions of people's care. We're supposed to cast our collective care upon God. So that's one group of people. Cast your care. That's us. That, the, the, the you're there. That's us. But there's a second person there. Cast your care upon him. Did you see the two groups of people? The two groups of people are us and all of our cares. We have cares of uh, finances. We have cares of how we're going to pay for college. We have cares of our grandchildren. We have cares of our children, our ailing parents. You name the care. All of our care, we're over here in this, this category of people right here. We have so many cares in life, and we are supposed to take those collective cares and cast them, not upon another group of people, but one person. This person over here, he doesn't have the cares of life that we have over here. Over here, we worry about our grades and we worry about our family and we worry about all these things. We are supposed to collectively take our care and bring it to one singular person, God and the person of Jesus Christ, and cast our care upon him because he doesn't have our care. But he does have a care. Did you notice his care in verse 7? He has one singular care. We have a plurality of cares, casting all your care upon him. He has a singular care. You see it in verse 7? For he careth. What's that next word? You. He has one care. God's not worried about the stock market. God's not worried about who's president. You, you really think Biden or Obama or Trump uh, holds a candle to Nero? God's not up there like trying to figure out, man, oh, oh. Trump and Biden, I didn't see them coming. Ugh, what do I do now? He doesn't care. I mean, he probably cares, but he doesn't care. You know what I mean? That's our care. We care about all these things in life. And God commands us to collectively take our care and cast it upon the one person. And that one person has one care, and it is you. Amen. It is you. You are the one he cares about. 
He doesn't care about the stuff that we care about. And, and the only reason that he would care about it is because it's important to us. Amen. I cannot tell you how many times I've said this to my kids. Listen, man, I don't care about your game, bud, but because I care about you, I care about that. Listen, I don't care about your hair not working for you, Lil, uh, but because I love you, I care about that. If he cares about our cares, it's because he cares about us. So you know what I'm saying here, all right? So our collective care is supposed to be placed upon him, and he has one singular focus, which is us. He died for us. He loves us and cares for us so much that he died on the cross to take away our sin forever and forever. And I promise you, if he was capable of doing that and reconciling us uh, to himself, then he is quite capable of handling your small problems in the scheme of life. He's quite capable of handling your small problems that you have today. So, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Not some of your care. Not most of your care. All of your care. So, where are you at this morning in your process of growth, in your Christian growth? Peter is commanding us to do two things here. In verses 5 and 6, he's commanding us to humble ourselves, and our humility will be seen through submission. And then in verse 7, he's commanding us to cast ourselves upon the Lord. He is commanding us to take our, all of our collective care and cast that care upon one person who has a singular care, which is us. Listen, I'm talking to people this morning, and you, listen, you have not purposely laid your cares at the foot of Jesus Christ in days, weeks, or months. You get bogged down with the stresses of this life and the cares of this life, and you are so anxious for the future. You are so worrisome about what's around the corner, and it's because you have not rightfully cast your cares at the foot of Christ. And you haven't rightfully cast your cares at the foot of Christ because you possibly have not rightfully humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. And you're walking around carrying these burdens, listen to me, and you are not designed to carry them. And what you are in effect doing as you carry these burdens around, you are trying to play God. And you are not God. And that care and that burden will weigh you down, but it will never weigh him down. There is one person that can play God, and it is not you. So this morning, if you are going to follow the advice of Peter, you will humble yourself, and then you will cast yourself. And all of these revolve around one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you need to get saved and stop playing church. Others of you, you need to take these burdens that you carry regularly, cast them down at the foot of the cross. Yeah. You carry around burdens for your parents and for your kids, all these things. Listen, cast that down at the foot of the cross. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us, the blessings that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for your book. Thank you for your word. Lord, as Erica comes uh, this morning for a moment of invitation, Lord, I pray that you would bless these people in a special way. Father, I pray that you would encourage and convict them where they need it, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to regularly, to daily fight against our pride, that we would humble ourselves before you, humble ourselves under your mighty hand, and then cast ourselves at your cross. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.